The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would, open your Bible this morning to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And as you are finding your place there, I want to mention something uh, by way of introduction. You know, most people, many people, have a television show or two maybe that uh, they really enjoy, maybe even more so than all the others. Maybe you have a favorite TV show. So for me, it would have to be NCIS. That's, that's probably my, my favorite show. I mean, I like them all. I like the original. I like the second one that came out that's set in Los Angeles. I even like the more recent one that came out in, uh, set in New Orleans. I just like them all. But my favorite, for sure, is the original. And, and maybe it's because it's been on TV longer, and I've gotten to know it better. I know all the characters. Uh, I know like stuff about the characters. I know the characters who have left and been replaced by somebody else uh, multiple times. I mean, I know a lot about that original series. And, in fact, I've watched every show of 18 seasons. It's midway through almost to the end of season 18. I just found out uh, it's been renewed for a 19th season. So, yes, hallelujah, I get to watch more. But... And the first 15 seasons are on Netflix, and I've watched every show of the first 15 seasons probably at least three times. So I've watched, I just, you know, I watch it all, all 15 seasons, and then, you know, when I have a chance, and then when I'm done, I just go back and watch them again. You know, it's just, I, I love the show. Even though I can predict what's going to happen, I, I still, I, I love it. And, and part of it is this, uh, the main character, who's also the producer of the whole series, um, Mark Harmon, who produces the show, plays a character called Leroy Jethro Gibbs. And he's, he's somewhat of a legend. He's a former uh, Marine Corps sniper, and uh, he's transitioned into this super special agent with the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, and he leads a team of agents, and they're fighting bad guys specifically, uh, cases that have to do with um, members of the Navy or the Marine Corps. And so anyway, I, I've gotten to really appreciate a lot of his character. And so here's one thing that, about his character. He has rules. He has rules for everything. And they have come out of his life of experience, not only personally but also in work with his, the cases that he's worked. And he, has, he's, he writes down all these rules, keeps them in a little box. Well, to the point that I love the show, I actually have a coffee mug here that has all of Gibbs' rules on them from all however many seasons of the show. So that way I, I, I can look at any time and just go back and, and remember what some of the rules are. So here, let me just give you a sample. Uh, like rule number three, never be unreachable. Seems practical, especially for our kids, never be unreachable. Um, there's also one of my personal favorites, rule number nine, never go anywhere without a knife. Also, very practical. Then there's rule number 23, never mess with a Marine's coffee if you want to live. <laughs> Seems also very practical. 
healthy, right? But then there's one that just happens to be the title to the sermon today. Rule number 39. There's no such thing as coincidence. Now that rule has been mentioned multiple times in multiple episodes over the seasons of this show, but maybe I like that rule so much because it is true to life. I believe that statement. There is no such thing as coincidence. You know, now some of his rules, you could sit here and read them and, and you think, okay, well that's just, that's just silly. And maybe so. And maybe it just works for the show. But this rule, this rule is true to life. And let me tell you why. Because I'm a Christian and I believe in a God who is almighty. And so I believe there is no such thing as coincidence. There is no such thing as luck. You know, a lot, the Marine Corps likes to say, Luck is, uh, luck is for the unprepared, <laughs> you know, but that, uh, even, even to, to the extent that that may be partially true. I don't believe in those things because I believe in God. I believe God is all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present. I believe in an almighty, sovereign God. And so I don't have to believe, well, I hope I'll get lucky and this will happen. Or I hope, oh, what a coincidence. That just happened to be, the, you know, I don't believe in that. I, I don't believe in that because I believe the God of the Bible. And that's, that's why I have that conviction. So, luck, coincidence, happenstance, whatever you want to call it, I believe, this is my personal conviction, and you can wrestle with this if you, if you will, I believe those things are man-made conventions in order to keep God out of the conversation. That's my personal conviction. That's what I believe. And so as we continue our study verse by verse through the book of Ruth, I believe it's going to become more and more clear that there really is no such thing as coincidence. God really is at work. So without further delay, let's read, turn our attention to Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 23, uh, the, the entire chapter, just as we did chapter 1 last week. Uh, and I'm going to read... Some of the words that, that as, as I read, I've uh, inserted the literal translation just to try to give a better sense of, of the, the meaning of the text. So um, bear with me as we read, but if you'll follow along in your Bible, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Now, Naomi had a kinsman or an acquaintance of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was appointed over the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Isn't that interesting? The servant who was appointed over the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now, and she's been sitting in the house for just a little while. Then... Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, or, or literally he says, have you not heard, my daughter? Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids, 
Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed you have spoken to the heart of your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Draw near, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he held out to her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it, that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also took it out and gave her, gave Naomi, what she had left over uh, after she was satisfied. And so her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is near to us. He is one of our redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Also he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they finished all my harvest. So Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take this word that we've read and that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts by your Spirit that you would give us understanding and help us to be obedient to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this text is absolutely filled with uh, illustrations and uh, connections to our lives as we follow Jesus. It, it's filled with them. The more we go through the story, the more we start to see, it's almost as if it's not a story about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. It's more a story about us following Jesus and what God has told us to do and wh what opportunities He gives us and how He uh, weaves together this tapestry of life for us where He is so intimately involved with what we're doing, it's almost impossible to ignore. There's a few things here as we break this text down, and I want to just kind of summarize and go back through and try to connect the dots in some of the things here that God does 
that shows us uh, where we are in this grand scheme uh, of life that he's given us. So number one, recognize your need for the grace of God. Recognize your need for the grace of God. Ruth and Naomi are in a very difficult predicament. They've returned from the land of Moab only because they heard that food had, had come again to that land in Judah where, they, where Naomi had left. And they're coming back, but they're widows. They have no, um, no rights in this culture because their husbands have passed and they are left alone, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law. And so... Naomi talks about a relative of hers. This is our first introduction to this person named Boaz, but look how it is uh, ordered in the first couple of verses. You see, you don't get to know his name right away. Instead, it's almost like a build-up. Let me tell you about this person. Let me tell you about his personality and his character and who he is. As the text begins, he's a prominent man, He's strong and mighty. He's a man of noble character. He's a man of standing. The Bible says great wealth. Uh, when, he says, uh, when the text says, had a kinsman of her husband, a man, the, the word that's used there, the, the um, augmented parts of this text talk about um, he's valiant, he's mighty, he has great wealth. He's also of the family of Elimelech, which means he is related to Naomi's past husband and uh, Danny Aiken in fact calls him a spiritual knight in shining armor that's the type of man we're talking about okay and, and, and in, in, uh, in personal terms Boaz is the type of man young man uh, a young man in the church should try to emulate he is a he's the type of man that you would look at for your sons and say, you see that guy? You see how he lives? You see how he follows the Lord? You see how he carries himself, his character? That's the kind of man you need to be like. That's what you would tell your son. He's also the same kind of man that you would look at your daughters and you say, you see that man? A man like that, that's the kind of man you're looking for. That's the kind of godly man, the character you're looking for in a husband, in a boyfriend. That's the kind of man you're looking for. And so Boaz is all that. He, he is the, uh, the poster boy for a godly man. His name is Boaz. You see, he saves that to the very end in verse 1. His name was Boaz. Now Ruth wants to do her part to help support herself and her mother-in-law. So she wants to find a place where she can go work. Because as a foreigner, her rights are basically zero. Okay? It's, it's bad enough that now she is left as a widow, and so she's in the most vulnerable position in society. So we kind of need to put that into our minds and understand that Naomi and Ruth are in a difficult spot, but she wants to do her part to try to help. And then look what the text tells us in verse 3. She just happened to come to the portion of the field owned by Boaz. In other words... It was just a coincidence, right? The, the literal Hebrew reads, it doesn't even make sense. It reads, her chance chanced upon Boaz's field. So it's like, it's, it's the most uh, random, arbitrary 
sequence of events, she just happened to arrive at this particular part of the field. So what she realized, though, the reason she even went there is because she needed some grace from God. Naomi needed some grace from God. Remember, Naomi is back to her homeland where she was. Ruth is in a foreign land. She has come as a foreigner back into part of God's land. And so she is excluded beyond uh, belief because of her background, her family background. So they are in great need for the grace of God. And so when you read verse 3, I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but at the same time I also don't want to um, leave this where we don't fully understand the, the, the profound nature of what's going on here. Uh, when, when verse 3 says she just happened to be in this part of the field, Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God is at work. He is always at work. And so when we happen upon these things and we think, oh, that was interesting. What a coincidence. Okay, as soon as those words come into your mind or even out of your mouth, you should pause. And you should just kind of take stock of where you are and what you're doing and whatever situation you're in and say, okay, God's at work here. I need to pay attention. Because there's no such thing as coincidence. We all are in great need for the grace of God. And so Ruth and Naomi recognize that. It seems interesting, though, that Ruth is the one who wants to proactively try to help. But Naomi seems content to just stay at home and kind of grovel, just have a little pity party. Because if you recall, you recall what the, the text said at the end of chapter 1, how she didn't even want to be called Naomi. She wanted to be called Mara. Because says she went out full and the Lord has brought her back empty. So she's still kind of stewing a little bit. She doesn't really care to do anything about it. But Ruth, she's ready to go out and try to help. So recognize your need for the grace of God. Number two, recognize your Redeemer and His provision. As soon as Ruth is uh, able to start working, and, and remember, she's not a primary worker. She's like following behind, like... There's workers in the field, and they're getting stuff out of the field, and she's just kind of following behind, see if they drop anything, and she'll grab a little leftover. So she's not even getting the most choice stuff here, okay? She's just getting the, the, the leftovers, okay, if they drop anything. So Boaz comes out from Bethlehem to check on his fields, and he sees Ruth and doesn't uh, know her. He recognizes that this is someone he hasn't seen, and so he inquires about her, he asks his servant, and so his uh, servant fills him in on Ruth's story. He says she's a Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. She asked if she could gather some of the leftover grain, but then he says this, she's been working all day, except for this little short break. She's been out there the whole time working very hard. So then Boaz takes it upon himself to speak to Ruth personally. So Boaz goes to Ruth and says, Hey, you stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Look what he said. This is, this is really uh, not normal. He says, Listen carefully, or literally, Have you not heard, my daughter? Do not go to glean in another field. 
Furthermore, don't go from this one. Stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap. Go after them. I've commanded the servants not to touch you, and when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the servants draw. This is not normal. Boaz is a man of standing in the community. Ruth is a foreign young widow. She has zero rights or privileges in this culture. And Boaz is being just uncommonly kind to her, gracious to her. She doesn't deserve it. He's got all the resources. He's got all the means to help care for her and her mother-in-law. She doesn't deserve any of it. She has no rights or privileges. And yet, he is extending to her unmerited favor. Does that sound familiar at all? I'm a sinner. I'm from a foreign land. I'm a Gentile. I am not part of God's people. I don't deserve anything. Jesus is a man of great standing and resources. He has everything I need for support, for care, for forgiveness. And He doesn't owe me anything. But He extends grace and kindness to me who, who really deserves nothing. And yet, He gives me everything I need. Boaz is becoming an Old Testament picture that points us to the cross. He points us to the person of Jesus. Because he has everything. Ruth has nothing. She's in great need. And he does not owe her anything. And yet, he extends kindness and grace and support. It's really amazing. Even if you look at the part about uh, if she gets thirsty. Look at this. In, um, in Let's see, where is that? Verse 9. Do you understand that in this culture, Ruth as the foreign woman, she'd be like the servant girl. She'd be the one drawing the water and doing the work and then giving the jars of water to the young men who were working. She'd be the one serving them. And do you see what Boaz says? Hey, if you get thirsty, you go over there and they will give you something to drink from the water they've drawn. This is a complete reversal. This is not normal. It's like uh, the, the slave girl has been a, given a seat at the table. And ironically, it's exactly what happens. Because Ruth humbles herself before Boaz. She asks him, why in the world are you so kind to a foreign woman? And Boaz tells her, I've heard a few things about you. I've heard your story. I heard how you have been so kind to your mother-in-law and you would not leave her side. You've come back here to Bethlehem and Judah from Moab, which is your homeland. You've left your father and your mother and you've come here. And knowing that you would have no rights, no privileges, no benefits, but the love you have for your mother-in-law that you're showing to her and now you're out here working to try to support the two of you 
I've heard about that. It hasn't gone unnoticed. And so he then asked the Lord to bless Ruth, but I want you to see this little phrase. He asked the Lord to bless her for all she's done and the fact that she has, in verse 12, sought refuge under the wings of the Lord. Now, do you know what that means? He's referencing the fact that she has then left a land full of idol worshipers that do not worship the one true God. She's come back with Naomi. Remember she said, your people will be my people. Your God is my God. So Ruth embraces the God of Israel. And so she's seeking refuge under his wings. And now, uh, as an illustration, as an extension, she has sought refuge under the wings of Boaz because he's now caring for her. He is an extension of the grace of God in her life. And so that little reference there in verse 12, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge, this is talking about Ruth and her newfound salvation, her newfound people, her newfound Lord, and he says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, because you're seeking refuge under his wings now. So you have become one of his children. So then he gives her a seat at his table and she eats until she is satisfied. She even had leftovers. Does that sound familiar? We're people who have great need who don't have a seat at the table, who are just looking for scraps. And because of Jesus, we've been given a seat at the table. We've been allowed to come and, and dine with Him and eat all we want. And that's going to happen even again in eternity. And yet, uh, we don't deserve it. We, sh we shouldn't be there except for the grace of God. And so Boaz gives her a seat at the table. He even arranges for her to gather an abundant harvest in his field. And so you see in, in verses 14, 15, and 16, he even tells his workers, hey, she's going to be following behind you, picking up the scraps. But tell you what, just go ahead and whatever you get, take some of that and just drop it out there for her. So make it even easier for her. Give her some more stuff. He, he's going above and beyond the call of duty uh, way more than he should have done in, the, in man's eyes. But he's demonstrating something. He's demonstrating a godly character. Because he says in verses 15 and 16, hey, let her come in among the sheaves. Don't insult her. Purposely pull out some grain uh, and leave it so she can get it. So at this point, Ruth is overcome by what a provision has been given to her. This is a picture of grace and mercy and kindness, exactly like what we find when we come to Jesus. Now, there is a, another little subtle illustration here that has to do with the fact that there is no such thing as coincidence. I want you to notice up to this point, we're up to verse 16, we're, we've got one more section to go, but I want you to notice how how Boaz and Ruth came to be introduced to one another. This was not planned out by either of them. Uh, there was no 
matchmaking going on by their friends. You know, it wasn't like, I'm going to fix you up with this person. None of that going on. They were simply doing what God called them to do, and God crossed their paths together. Now, this is a, a very subtle detail in this story, but if you are single in this room today, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Okay? Danny Aiken, who is the president of Southeastern Seminary, said this about this particular situation. He said, as a single person, it is far more important that you be the right person rather than be in search for the right person. Let me say that again. As a single Christian, it is far more important that you be the right person rather than being in search for the right person. See, Boaz was not looking for a wife. Ruth was not looking for a husband. They were both being who God wanted them to be, and God brought them together. Boaz was demonstrating godly character. Ruth was demonstrating humility and godly character, serving her mother-in-law, trying to be a blessing. And God brought them together. They were both being who God called them to be. That's just a little side note, but I think it deserves mention because there are many times when we get so hung up with, oh, I've got to find the right person. I know they're out there somewhere. i just got to, you know, why can't I find the right person? Well, maybe we should start with, wait a second. Am I, if I found the right person, am I the kind of person they would want to find? Or am I the kind of person they'd want to be found by? <laughs> right. See, God wants us to be the right person. And then he'll make sure we find the right person. That's just a little side note. So recognize your need for the grace of God. Recognize your Redeemer and His provision. The last part of this text, number three, recognize your responsibility to share in the harvest. Now this is really, really interesting how Ruth gets positioned to be generous when she had nothing. It's, it's just astonishing what God has done in this young lady's life. Because you get to verse 17, so after Boaz has done all that he's done for her, it, the Bible says she gleaned in the field until evening. So she took advantage of the kindness of Boaz and she worked and wor even more until evening. It says she beat out what she had gleaned. The Bible says it was about an ephah of barley. Now let me break that down a little bit. An ephah of barley would equal uh, about 5.8 gallons, roughly. And when she were, was to try to carry all this home, we're talking like somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds that she's taking back from the field. Now, when all, this, all is said and done, and the uh, processing of all the, the, the barley and the wheat that she would have had in this, in this time... Because if you see, I'm going to just skip down to the bottom for just a second. If you look at verse 23 real quickly, the Bible says that she stayed close and gleaned until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. Okay? So you know what that means? That's about a month. 
All right? So in about a month, now this was in one day, first of all, what she did. One day. Okay? At the end of a month's time, in one month, because of the kindness and grace of Boaz, she would have gathered enough to feed herself and Naomi for an entire year in one month. She came to town with nothing. No possessions, no rights, no privileges, no benefits. Just a widow with a mother-in-law who was also a widow. She was in a land that she didn't know, people she didn't know. She left her own home, left her father, left her mother, followed her mother-in-law. She had nothing. She had no prospects. But God. I, I felt like that would have been a really opportune place for somebody to say amen right there because that was, that was kind of... Yeah, never mind. All right. So Ruth comes back. She's been given uh, every advantage now from Boaz. She even brought her leftover food that she had at that meal and gave it to her mother-in-law. So now her mother-in-law gets served and gets to eat, uh, and she's done nothing but stay at home. But because Ruth went out and God put this uh, plan together, orchestrated these events in her life, in the life of Boaz. Now she's providing for herself and for her mother-in-law. She's going to be bringing home enough food for an entire year. And so when she gets home, look at verse 19. Naomi wants to know where she was. So where'd you work today? What happened? And then when she brings in all this 30 to 50 pounds uh, of goods that she brought home with her. Uh, listen to what Naomi says in verse 19. May he who took notice of you be blessed. In other words, I don't know who he is, but the Lord bless him because look at all you brought home. What a blessing this is to our household. And then uh, uh, Ruth says, well, his name is Boaz. Now look at verse 20. Naomi knew who he was. She recognized that name. Even after, remember she was gone 10 years, about 10 years? She came back, but she still remembered this relative, Boaz. Naomi said, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, This man is near to us. In other words, he's a close relative. And then she uses this term. It's the Hebrew word goel. It means redeemer. He is a redeemer for us. You know what, you know what that means? You know what uh, the full picture of to redeem something means? It's not just, hey, I got a coupon for a free dessert at Chili's. I'm about to go redeem that. Okay? Now, now that's good because... Molten chocolate cake. Oh, my word. Have you had it? It's amazing. It's just a side note. I didn't have that written down. Redeeming means I have a debt. I can't pay it. Unless somebody comes from the outside and helps, I'm stuck right here. Boaz has the power and the means, and we'll see the willingness to redeem what was lost.
Jesus has the power and the means and the authority to redeem what is lost. It's just it's so clear you can't miss it. The, even the word that is used in verse 20, Goel, Redeemer. Ruth goes on. He also said to me that I should stay close with his servants until they finished all the harvest. That means he's not just providing for one day. It's not just, a, oh, by the way, um, I know you kind of fell on hard times and you don't really have anything. And I know it's tough, you know, you and your mother-in-law. So I'll help you out today. But that's it. That's not what happened. He said, I'm going to help you out today. And tomorrow when you come back, I want you to stay close. Because I'm going to provide for you from now on. You see the, the spiritual connection? That's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus redeems us and wipes away the debt and the difficulty. And then He doesn't leave us. He says, I've got enough. You make sure you come back tomorrow. Give us this day our daily He's not just heaping it up and saying, all right, now, I hope you make that last because there's no more after that. It's not what he says. He says, come to me every day and I'll give you bread. Every day. So, as Ruth tells the story, Naomi encourages her to continue working in these fields for protection, for provision. She even says that. It's good that you stay there because... Uh, we don't want other people to maybe fall upon you in another field. So you stay right there. You stay with Boaz. And she continues to work in the last verse, 23. She continued to work with Boaz for the remainder of barley and wheat harvest, which I said was about a month. But she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, why would, why would that be included? Look at the last phrase there, verse 23. Last verse, last phrase. She lived with her mother-in-law. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. God has just blessed this young lady. Blessed her household, her mother-in-law. Provided for her in an unbelievable way. But she maintained her godly character. She went to work every day with Boaz. She lived with her mother-in-law. She knew God, you have blessed me. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to continue to be the kind of person you have called me to be. I'm not going to forsake that just because I've, I've happened to fall into some good times, right? Some, some good luck. You know? Because there's no such thing as coincidence. So, what does Ruth do with all the goodness that came to her? She didn't run off and get her own place and move out from her mother-in-law. She shared. Right? So what has Jesus done for us? Jesus has put us in a position to be the beneficiaries of great blessing. He has given us forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, a gospel story that changes our lives. 
And what are we supposed to do with it? Share. We share it. We take the goodness that God has given us and we share it with other people. Why do we receive three different missions offerings throughout the year? Why do we support the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board? And why do we support state and local missions? Why do we do those things? Why do we uh, try to be equipped so we can uh, be comfortable in sharing the gospel? Why, do, why does that even matter? Because the whole point is that we share what we've been given. We don't just keep it to ourselves. God has blessed us, and so we should share. So, all right, so that, that's all I have to say about the text, and I'm going to conclude, and then we'll be done. So, in conclusion, let me just say this. This is what I've been dying to tell you all day. <laughs> okay. So, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm driving here this morning, and all this just kind of occurred to me all at once. I don't know why it took my drive to, to open my eyes to this. But this is, this is what happened. All right, so last year, I, 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 you know how I do. I've got to give you a little background before I tell you the story. So last year, I read the Bible all the way through chronologically. Okay? So it was not just cover to cover. It was like as it, the timing of it, right? So I, I read it all the way through, but it was in chronological order. So that means I, uh, I read it 365, 366 days. All right, so... Um, this year I wanted to do something a little different. So I still wanted to read the Bible every day, but not necessarily just straight through. So here's what I did. I went on this uh, Bible app. I picked like six or seven different Bible reading plans of different parts of the Bible, uh, ranging from like 10 to up to 90 days. And so when I added them all up, 365 days. Okay, so i got all these plans on my phone, on my iPad, so that way I can... Do one and complete it, and then do another one, complete it, and just string them together. So I'm still reading the Bible every day, but uh, it's not just one huge plan. It's a bunch of plans, okay? All right, so that's the background of that. Now, when I plan my preaching, I, uh, I try to I pray about you know, what, what God wants us to study and what, what would be helpful for us, because I don't know. I can't sit here and say, oh, well, I know this person needs this and this person needs that, and so I need this. I can't do that because I'll be wrong, okay? So I pray about what God wants us to study and where he would lead us to study, and, I, and then I outline the book, and, and we chart it out, and, and I preach. So I knew we were coming to the end of Acts. We've been in the New Testament for quite some time, so I was really kind of of the conviction we probably should switch over and do something in the Old Testament. And I know I had gone through several of the minor prophets, so we could finish those up and do, there's 12 of those. So we've done like five or six of them. So we do the other five or six or seven, however many, and finish out the 12 minor prophets. But then I also thought about Ruth because it's such a good story and so, so helpful. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org. Today is April 18th. It is the 108th day of the year. But because I have several different Bible reading plans, it is the 38th day of my current Bible plan. And this current one, I've been through, two, I finished two or three already, and this is the, the one I'm on now, but it's the 38th day of it. And it is concentrating on the wisdom literature of the Bible. So it's in the Old Testament. 
Well, the first book of this reading plan is Job. So that means this morning I read Job 38. Okay. Today is the second week of our sermon series through Ruth. That means I'm preaching the second chapter of Ruth, which highlights the sovereignty of God. Do you know what the 38th chapter of Job is about? It's the chapter where God answers Job in all his nonsense, his rantings, and, and he asks this question of Job. Where were you when I was creating the world? You think you know so much. <laughs> Where were you when I was putting the stars in the sky? It is a divine declaration of the sovereignty of God. So, that means on the day I'm preaching about the sovereignty of God in Ruth 2, my own personal daily Bible reading is all about the sovereignty of God. Do you remember the title of the message today? There's no such thing as coincidence. You know when I put out my, or developed my preaching calendar? Weeks and weeks ago. This just happened, just happened to be the Bible plan that I'm on right now. It just happened to be the 38th day of it. It happened to be in Job chapter 38. And by the way, I put the title on this sermon two days ago. I didn't know what I was going to be reading this morning. You see, God is almighty. God is sovereign. And, and God is good. And God provides for His people and graciously involves them in His mission in the world. So we're people who have a great need, and that need has been met by a great God. And we've now been given a great responsibility to participate in a great mission and we have a message that is far too great to keep to ourselves. So in the, in the words of Carl F.H. Henry, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So I pray that we will do our part by God's power that we're going we're gonna to be uh, involved in making that happen. We're going to get the gospel everywhere we can with urgency because that's what we're called to do. Share the goodness we've received. Let's pray.